Welcome to the Court to Corporate Podcast. I'm your host, Kirby Porter. On this show, we sit down with current and former athletes to discuss their personal playbooks and dive deeper into how it has translated into success and lessons outside the game and in the business world. You can find this podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at courttocorporate.com. Court to Corporate is all about amplifying the journey of athletes in corporate America and showcasing how your athletic influence can serve to build your path. Stay up to date with more content and perspectives across all of our social platforms. These will be linked in the show notes or they can be found on our website. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right. Um, cool. So I'm really excited about this episode for many reasons, but one of them being that I had the chance to intern on Jasmine's team back in summer 16 at Under Armour, learned a lot from her then and still do now. So I'm super excited to have her on and share her wisdom with all of you listening to this right now. Uh, Jasmine is a Bowdoin women's basketball alum and current founder and CEO of Round 21. After her four years at Bowdoin, she went on to play professionally, coach, and grow her career in the sports industry, leading global marketing for brands like Under Armour and Peloton before founding Round 21. So Jasmine, thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, Many of our listeners are current and recently graduated student athletes that are looking at individuals like yourself and thinking, how do I get there? You know, like what were their moves, their steps, and how can I take that with me through my journey? So excited to have you on, talk about how you have navigated and made impact in your career. And where I'd love to start is, um, you know, you played at Bowdoin and coming out, you played professionally for a year and you coached. So can you take us back to that time and how you were thinking about your career and what led you to staying in the game? Yeah, Kirby, thank you for having me. Um, Generally speaking, I always saw myself as an athlete. So career management was never front of mind. And I think that's just how I authentically looked at the world. I had always been an athlete and I wanted to stay true to that identity. And that is what was my guiding path moving, you know, from an athlete into what then was a, was a coaching career. And when I was playing overseas, I was really just trying to see how far I could extend my playing career, not realizing it was actually giving me an understanding of a greater potential in coaching and ultimately has still even played a role in how I see the world because of the different cultures that are you know, around us in the world that you sometimes don't see if you stay in a really comfortable position um, where, where I was in, in my playing career in Maine. So when I was, Uh, given the opportunity to play overseas, I took it. And we had a strength and conditioning coach who was excellent. And I realized that I could continue my career both as a player coach on a, you know, track to being an NCAA coach, if that's what I chose, or a strength and conditioning coach. And I chose to pursue strength and conditioning. Again, not because it was a career path that I felt completely and totally invested in, but because it was true to my identity at the time. And strength and conditioning um, at the time, you know, this was in the early 2000s, was something that was commonly seen in the uh, collegiate level of play, but not as common in um, off-season training or at the high school level. 
And so I went in and I became a grad assistant strength and conditioning coach at Trinity College and also got my master's degree in economics. And the reason that I wanted to do that was honestly to have the ability to continue coaching, but also hedge. Generally speaking, uh, I didn't have the confidence to jump into a career without having some sort of foundation, which coaching was providing me. I leveraged that uh, coaching experience and master's degree to continue coaching at a small franchise-based strength and conditioning concept called Competitive Athlete Training Zone. And what I was learning about myself while I was doing that, I was coaching, but I was also the general manager of this franchise-based concept, is that Personally, for me, it was important that I always had a sense of who I was in what I did. If I was going to jump into a corporate role or into an entry-level position at a new company, I would not feel like I was staying true to myself. And this was something that I learned, you know, I'm in my, at this point in my mid-20s, and Um, that was a really important thing for me to recognize. And not everybody gets the opportunity to stay in the comfort of that identity. But I would encourage anyone out there to think about who they are and find a way to stay in the comfort of their identity in what they do. Um, Generally speaking, in that position, I learned a lot. I was still coaching, so I learned the experience of the kids who came in and were getting the strength and conditioning training for whatever sport they were playing. But I was also learning general management, building franchise playbooks when new facilities were opening up in new states, building marketing partnerships with local community uh, teams and um, organizations. And that started to give me the confidence to leverage the knowledge of business, the understanding of um, consumer preferences at the time for strength and conditioning. And I interviewed for positions in sports all around the nation. I put my resume in to Nike, to Reebok, to Gatorade. I made a map of all of the companies that were tangentially related to sports at the time. I was really confident that I could take, make the leap. And what I was um, experiencing every time I sent my resume in was a kind thank you for applying or maybe a callback, (laughs) (laughs) but a very clear point of view that, you know, at my age at the time, now I'm getting into my late twenties, I didn't have any tangible corporate transferable marketing experience. So when you're going to blue chip organizations or, you know, multinational companies with a background at the time, like mine, it's very daunting to say, trust me, I can do it. Um, But I persevered and continued to apply, and I had three different interviews at Reebok where the hiring manager was the same every time, and he said, we want to hire you, but we don't know what for because you've never worked here before. So uh, they... I got, you know, the opportunity to join the consumer insights and brand strategy team at Reebok, and my lesson there was there are going to be certain compromises you make in your career. I really wanted a marketing role, but as long as you're clear 
in your fourth rank of what matters to you, which for me was staying in sports. It actually wasn't the role. It was staying in sports. Those compromises are around us every single day. But if you're clear on what you really, really want, number one, number two, it actually makes the decision pretty easy. So I joined the global brand strategy and consumer insights team where my number one responsibility was leverage the knowledge you've had the last 10 years being around the kid, the athlete, the, the you know, fitness minded enthusiast and help us at Reebok build a new brand because Adidas had just acquired Reebok and, you know, effectively they were former competitors now going after the same consumer. Um, and, you know, that's where I started to get my sea legs. So I would say, unlike a lot of uh, peers in my network, I started my career around the age of 29 or 30. The career I know now, Under Armour, Peloton, Hasbro, Reebok, started around 30. And I would never go back and do it over again because it gave me the ability to feel my sense of self throughout my career, being an athlete, being a coach, being an, a coach who was close to business, being somebody in business that then went into marketing. Um, but that was unusual. And I felt confident at Reebok to say, I understand business management, brand strategy, consumer insights, but I've been in sports for at the time 30, almost, you know, however many years we all say we played sports out of birth. Um, and I started to wonder if I had the confidence to try something new. And staying true to who I am, I wanted to try something new, but not lose my identity. And so I love toys and games. You know, if we're all, in a way, athletes at heart forever, you play different kind of games, you stay competitive. And so I joined Hasbro at the time where they wanted to bring in someone who had transferable knowledge from a different company to reinvent games that were board games into entertainment brands for today's digital first generation. And I was, you know, coming from Reebok where we had leveraged uh, art, culture, entertainment, music to build the Reebok brand. And they wanted a, a playbook and a blueprint that leveraged that type of um, uh, blueprint for uh, Monopoly, Trivial Pursuit, Scrabble, Jenga, etc. And so again, taking a chance, but a calculated chance where I could stay true to who I was, was beneficial to me, but also I brought in a different perspective into the toy and game industry. Um, and then, you know, I missed sports. And as it goes, you know, you get opportunities sometimes and sometimes you go for them. And I was very fortunate that um, Under Armour uh, had a position open where they wanted someone to come in and lead the men's training uh, brand. I loved that. I loved the potential of being a female leader on the men's training business. And I joined uh, Under Armour, regaining, you know, the sense of culture that I really thrive in, which is a team sport environment a sense of um, camaraderie with other like-minded athletes, which Under Armour in 2012 had a ton of. And um, yeah, I joined Under Armour and was there six years, had the pleasure of working with you. And um, that's when I, I, you know, got the sense of um, the world is changing. Technology, media, entertainment are becoming one. And I was very fortunate uh, to get a call from Peloton 
where they had a role open as vice president of global brand. And, and I absolutely could not uh, pass it up. It was an opportunity to, at the time, be a part of the team going from a bike company to a global entertainment and media brand with a portfolio of products. And in the two years uh, that I was there, um, you know, went private to public, the team grew exponentially. And um, I also was commuting from the, you know, the Maryland home that I had built at Under Armour to New York every single week. And um, I had started to feel that entrepreneurial bug myself and had had a concept in mind for a while and um, decided to transition where I could bring my own dream to life. And, and here I am. I'm on week one of focusing on uh, my new brand. Right. What perfect timing. Um, wow. I mean, like so much there. And I personally took away a lot from what you just said. And I think my first question kind of goes back to that first decision that you made to try something new and, you know, beginning your corporate career at 2930 and making that transition from a student athlete, a professional player and a coach. And at first getting a few, a few no's, a few maybes from sports brands how did you, what did you feel helped you ultimately position yourself to land that first role at Reebok? Like, how did you talk about the skill sets that you had gained as a forever athlete and, um, and, and land that role without any tangible experience? I think um, I didn't take for granted that the culture and the consumer you're around after graduating college is relevant to brands today. Doesn't matter mm -hmm. what you're doing. If you're working for a candle company, you are um, likely connecting with a certain consumer around a certain culture. And so I leveraged my story about being around team sport athletes in an environment where strength and conditioning and uh, skills were equally important and the team sport athlete was a basketball player, baseball player, et cetera. And Reebok had a need for someone who wasn't sitting working on presentations based on market research data, but somebody who had literally been in the sweat and, you know, grime of the locker room. And I just stayed true to the story that I had lived, which was the culture and the consumer um, that I had been associated with. And I do think that is one thing that we might overlook in today's environment where, where we're always positioning ourselves on LinkedIn or on Instagram or Facebook or whatever as the things we're doing. Sometimes it's actually the, the bigger picture and the culture and the, and the consumer that you're targeting that can be most valuable to a brand. And I think that's what helped me in that situation. Yeah. And so from from Reebok and going on to Hasbro, Under Armour, Peloton, and most recently founding um, your own company, being in these leadership positions, I love to dive a bit into, you know, progression and growth in your career in a few ways. And I think the first one is kind of around decision making. You know, in your story, you mentioned you took a few calculated chances um, and you know, I, I've, I've had the chance to talk to a few student athletes recently, especially in the conditions that we're in. And I feel like a question that always rises to the top is how do I make confident decisions outside of my sport? How do I find 
grounding that helps me know which direction is the right direction. So thinking about how your career has evolved and staying true to who you are, um, can you tell us about like wh when it comes down to making decisions, how do you begin to think about which ones are right for you and, and what does calculating it look like in, in your head? So for me, most people are changing I don't know if it's every day, every month, every year, but people, we are, as humans are always adapting. We're growing, we're learning, et cetera. So I try to do, uh, I'm a pretty reflective person. So I try to do a little bit of self-reflection now and then. So one way I've done this is when I was looking to um, leave Hasbro for Under Armour, I had definitely made a forced rank list of all the things that mattered most to me at that time. That may not be the same group of things when I was at, uh, you know, coming out of playing professionally in Spain. But at the time, the first thing was location because my husband had gotten a promotion in the Maryland area. And so that was a reality. It was first, but it was actually something that could have been flexible because, um, you know, DC's nearby and New York's nearby, et cetera. But the second was staying or going back to sports, which was vitally important. Then after that, honestly, title, the, the, I could have gone to Under Armour and worked. I would have been happy to join the women's team, the running team, the men's training team, et cetera. So for me, it's being conscious and intentional about what matters to you at the time. And I really encourage people to do that because there's so much sacrifice we do with, related to our career, whether it's I'll take a little less money, whether it's I'll work a little bit more. And um, knowing what is most important to you as a guide can help you make those conscious trade-offs. If you don't know what's most important to you, you may find yourself after a few months or um, in some unfortunate situations, years and years later, looking back and wondering, how did I get here? But almost documenting what's most important to you at the time. In this situation where we're all at home, I think it's important for people to, to truly pause and think this is an opportunity. It may not seem like it to reflect on what is most important to me is being near X person because relationships have meant so much the past four weeks is being outdoors. All of a sudden there's this realization, like I hated that job in that, you know, dusty cubicle. So it's different for every person, but that has worked for me. Right. So as you evolved through your career to leadership positions, most recently leading global brand marketing for Peloton and Under Armour, and I'm sure even earlier than that, um, I'd, I'd love to hear how you saw similarities between being an athlete and kind of growing as an effective leader play out over the course of your career. So I would say there have been a few things I've pulled, but honestly, there have been a few things that I had to learn new. <laughs> so, <laughs> the few Don't things that I think I, I mean, really though, um, <laughs> the few things I pulled were, Growing up, I grew up in a really uh, humble environment, great parents, awesome brother, but dirt road, Oklahoma, and, um, you know, doors were unlocked every night. There was a sense on my team, on my, like, from fifth grade on, 
that the coach had instilled about playing up. So if you're on the fifth grade team, you might get to play with the sixth graders. If you're on the seventh grade team, you might get to play with the JV high school team, the sense of playing up. And there's been something that's stuck in my mind through my career that I've held on to around playing up. And so what that meant for me personally in my career was every move that I made, conscious or unconscious, has been a little iteration of playing up. And it's it's only in looking back where I can say I leveraged and uh, took a incremental step forward versus leaping. I didn't leap. Others leap and it's awesome and I admire that too. But those incremental moments in my career that have led me to now, you know, having um, such a vast experience were very similar to being in the fifth, sixth, seventh grade and just playing up and not hoping for the opportunity, but tapping people on the shoulder and saying, hey, put me in coach, I'm ready to play up. I try to find those opportunities for my team. So as a leader, you always want to make the team or the teammate feel confident enough to achieve the goal. But there's a stretch opportunity where they might be able to learn and also contribute um, in a way that feels like they owned it. So playing up as a player was something I experienced. And I try to give my um, the team that's, that I lead opportunities to play up. That's one thing that was transferable. The thing that hasn't been transferable is the remarkable confidence and appetite of today's workforce who are in their early 20s and 30s that I learn from so much every day. Mm-hmm. The reason I bring that up is because the, the leaders who are of a life stage, um, you know, maybe VPs and above who are of a certain age, did not grow up or grow in their career with the same set of expectations as the younger generation. And I admire that. So I'm learning the things you should ask for related to opportunities are things you should ask for. Um, there are a lot, there's a lot of guidance out in the world today, some good, some not so good about how to ask for that. So I'd be careful on how you choose to, but results today in business are going to be achieved in a different way than they were when I was uh, doing it. So I try to be aware of that versus bringing a playbook from 15 years ago. Right. So um, last, last question on this piece before we begin to uh, talk about round 21 is, you know, what does it take? Um, at the top of the conversation mentioned that a lot of our listeners are current or recently graduated student athletes, some of whom may be pursuing a career in brand marketing or sports marketing like myself. Um, so I think the question here is like, what skill sets do you think have made you an effective marketer? And how did you, you know, continue to build on those throughout your career and seek opportunities that helped you do that? Yeah, so consumer, consumer, consumer. I was fortunate at Reebok to join the Consumer Insights team. So that's where I started and that's where I continue to start with. The um, recent graduate who may be coming out um, of college looking for a brand marketing role needs to be, a vi- needs to be very aware and acutely um, skilled or, or open to learning the skill of how to understand consumers. Brand marketing is around telling stories and making people believe in something. If you don't know who those people are, it's hard to help them to believe in something. Right. So that's that's number one. Two is 
there's a balance between the work ethics that a lot of your listeners probably bring to uh, their jobs that they learned in college, particularly division one sports where it's like three practices a day. It's never enough. There's film, there's, um, you know, strength and conditioning, and then there's skill work and teamwork. Business and brand management is not a work harder than everyone else game. Business and brand management, in my experience, is a balance, depending on the day, of work ethic, relationships, um, data understanding today in particular, and a, a greater a greater sense of cultural and society and societal benefit that brands can have. Um, those are the four things I think really stellar brand marketing teams think about. Absolutely working as hard as is needed, for sure, depending on the situation, um, an understanding of uh, data, an understanding of the greater societal and cultural impact, and then the consumer knowledge as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'd love to close out with your journey to entrepreneurship. You mentioned this is your first week um, on, on the job. Um, very recently, you founded Round 21. Round 21 collaborates with emerging artists to give life to the sports that we love. We are all definitely missing sports law right now, and the love for them is growing, so it couldn't be a better time for it. But I would love uh, for you to just share more on the inspiration and, and story behind Round 21. Yeah, thank you. It's really um, goes back to me wanting to be true to my identity. So I love to play, uh, insert game here, and I love to create. And that was storytelling and brand marketing. It has manifested itself in different forms of art and music in, in my life. But I want to elevate the love that we have for a lot of our sports with art. And by elevate, I mean, bring a little bit of storytelling, absolutely bring a little bit of energy and optimism to the sports we love. And when I look at the sports that are most commonly played, there are a couple of common denominator sports out there. So little may some of your listeners know, but there's a ping pong table around spring training um, with, you know, every turn of Major League Baseball's, you know, March season. There are side ping pong games in you know most golf tournaments that are played at the professional level there was a famous um ping pong tournament uh played at nba all-star two or three years ago drake and reggie miller and so ping pong has been one of these sports that no matter what you play you play ping pong and I believe that ping pong has a really unique opportunity to bring people together and the product is a great canvas for art and storytelling so I want to continue to, you know, bring people together through sports, starting with ping pong. And I want to partner with underrepresented artists, whether it's um, socioeconomic or ge geographical or um, gender or gender identification or racial. I want to give a voice to artists who have something to say. And that's what I'm merging together uh, with Round 21. Love that. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you've like always had this entrepreneurial bug. Um, and I feel like a lot of the literature around athletes in business really hones in on, you know, why athletes make great entrepreneurs or self-starters or goal setters. We think in systems um, and we just kind of embody the mindset for you. What what drove you ultimately to starting your own business? Is this is entrepreneurship something that you have you know always seen for yourself? 
So I had two parents that were very, I still have two parents that are very entrepreneurial (laughs) in nature. So I grew up around the idea and the ideals of you make your own success. I, I didn't intend, you know, early days to go out and do my own thing, but to make ends meet here and there, I would personal train. I would, you know, brand that when I was a grad assistant, I would brand how the, how Trinity college was appealing to, um, you know, the parent and the athlete. And so these were things I just kind of did on my own that weren't a part of now, you know, later in my career, corporate um, blueprints. And so I'd always enjoyed taking, you know, nothing to something. And it was really this idea of, you know, playing up that I had kept coming back to where I had been a part of great brands and their stories and told their stories. And I really wanted to do uh, something on my, uh, not on my own, because eventually I'll have a team, but something that I could call my own, I guess is how I would say it. And I'm really excited and optimistic that um, this concept will be successful because I'm leveraging the beauty of what is art and the societal need of what is sport and will feel very comfortable pivoting as culture and artists and sports need to go to make the brand successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really, really jazzed to, to see it through. But I think it was the role models of my parents plus the, the intention of, of starting my own thing that, that helped me take this entrepreneurial leap. What have you learned in, in your first week on the job that you can share with um, other aspiring entrepreneurs that are listening to this right now? Um, that you always, I don't know what the percentage is, but the, the plan is never done is the first rule that, you know, the coronavirus climate for business has taught me. And I think that that's a rule that I've always known, but that I'll definitely take forward and being comfortable with change and being comfortable with and open to new ideas while staying true to whatever the central core of the brand or businesses is, you know, one takeaway from the short few days that I've been focused on this uh, full time. And then the second is, you know, I was taught a long time ago that in every uh, conversation or relationship, there's always three people, you, the person, and the, the dynamic is the third. And so Today, the dynamic is really the guiding force in most conversations, which is social distancing or, you know, someone who's been affected. And so that leads. Sometimes it's you and the person because you go way back and it's cool to reminisce. But I think knowing that principle of it's you, the person and the dynamic is also something that's really prevalent in how I'm approaching uh, my business these days. So to wrap up, um, you know, thinking about where you are now, if you could go back to your senior year self as an athlete, um, what career advice would you give her um, that you'd like other athletes to hear? I would say be comfortable um, guiding your career based on who you are versus what you know. And I'm lucky that that's actually played out. So it's not a regret or anything like that. But I didn't, I didn't know that's what I was doing. I labeled it insecurity, actually. I labeled staying in coaching for a while, 
becoming a strength and conditioning coach as I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my career. When in reality, I think I was staying true to my identity versus staying, you know, versus focusing on what I know. And it, it has been a good principle for me in my career. And so that's what I would go back and really try and help her understand, um, and I do think labels can be dangerous. So I would also try and help her understand, like, just just be and be intentional um, versus putting a label on it. Jasmine, thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, you know, I've learned so much from your journey and what you do and just excited to see what's next with um, Round 21. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks for listening into this episode. In the meantime, we want to hear from you. Stay connected. Leave us a comment on Apple podcast, DM us or contact us on our website, whatever is easiest. We want to know your feedback and what questions you have. Otherwise, we'll be back soon with more athletes, more perspectives and more pro tips on the way.